You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And today, I got a show for you, the man. The myth, the legend himself, back at it again in his office, Stone Studio in Texas. EJ Carry On, man. Welcome to the show again. What's up, man? It's been a while, man. I feel like we were like, uh, I forget what season that was, but that was a good episode. I still get people commenting or letting me know, hey, I listened to the Minority Trailblazer podcast and I heard your thing. And uh, they'll message me, DM me on Instagram. So, hey, man, I'm glad to do it again. Round two, a little bit more wiser and mature. A lot more wiser and mature, man. A lot of stuff has changed, man. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of uh, race wars. We're in the middle of, it's a lot we're in the middle of, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you have been adapting. As you see, we talked offline, like this whole studio we got right here is coming last couple months, man. So first, for the people that didn't listen to the first interview, man, can you educate us on man, who you are, what you do and all that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. So um, EJ Carrion, Fort Worth, Texas. We uh CEO of Student Success Agency. We basically provide support services to schools in a digital way so kids could receive advising, tutoring, counseling anywhere, anytime from their cell phone, uh, reimagining support services in a digital world. And so our team is doing that. Also do uh, top youth speaker, doing a lot of speeches and uh, really just focused on modernizing education and creating equity tech, basically innovations that's focusing on um, increasing the level of the floor so that we have actually uh, democratized access to opportunity and equality uh, and the chances to success for all kids. Mm, that's deep, man. And you didn't even start off in this space. You started off just as a speaker, right? So how right. does that transition be? Not just as a speaker, but yeah. professional speaker doing that. Tell me about why the transition into an agency and how you've been kind of able to leverage. I know we're going to get there, but off the jump, how you been able to leverage all that? Yeah, so really started out as a speaker um, because I was super involved in high school and college. So mm-hmm. that idea of seeing other speakers, like, oh, I definitely could do that. So um, really jumped into that. And honestly, I learned about entrepreneurship in college mm-hmm. and I uh, really didn't know much about it. And what happened though is I just got inspired by entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurs I was able to surround myself with. And then I used my experience as a speaker. And I was going into a hundred schools a year, different schools, different schools, different counselors, and learning about the problems that they mm-hmm. were going through. And I was like, wow, there's one counselor to every 500 kids. The average kid gets only 38 minutes with their counselor. The counselor's only available during the day when kids are in class. It'd be dope if they could actually have these services when the kids aren't 
stuck in class. Like it's like this friction where you have all these people who want to help kids, but they're only available when kids are supposed to be in class. That would be like the grocery store only being open when me and you at work. So it's like this friction. I was like, Oh, I could solve this Uh because it was in my same alley. So, um, I wasn't intended to be a tech entrepreneur. Um, and so that was kind of the step to get there, man. So two, two quick things with that. Number one, how did you even get into the space? You said a hundred schools, like most speakers that are people yeah. on there would dream of being able to get to that space. So before you even had, um, two success Academy, how in the world did you get into all these schools? And then two, and I, I cause I like to ask two questions at once to kind of get the mind rolling Two, being that it's COVID-19 is a pandemic, a lot's going on. How have you had to adjust in reaching kids? Cause now more than ever, they need an academic support, but now it's, it's another complexity as far as virtual. So you have to think about Wi-Fi, think about settings. Now they're in houses. We don't know what set. So mentally, a lot of stuff is going on for students. So how are you and your team adjusting and really helping with that battle? Yeah. So from a speaking perspective, I think a lot of people um, always want to be a speaker. I think everybody should be a speaker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all have a mouth. And so the barrier of entry to become a speaker is pretty low because mm-hmm. uh, we all are gifted with the ability to share our voice. And regardless, if you become a professional speaker, um, speaking as a great way to market your products, become a thought leader and an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think everyone should be a speaker. And for me, I got into hundred schools basically by um, really focusing on my niche and finding where I was at. And so I really focused on high school success. I was a Bill Gates scholar, mm-hmm. author, and then really just really honed in. I probably did a hundred to 200 free speeches before ever getting a really my first paid speech. And this is at what age? Cause you, you've been speaking yeah, yeah. for a while. Yeah. I started trying to speak actually when I was like 16 years old. So I was, I didn't get my first paid speech until I was 19 years old. Um, so I was doing it for three years trying to craft my message and I really got lucky to find the right mentors at the same time, um, to really hone in. And so my, my mentors and he's a great, he has his own, um, speaker university is Arel Moody. Uh, he's a great guy. And then as, as well as Josh ship. Mm-hmm. And so, just getting connected there were really helpful. Now from the business side, yeah, our business is, you know, we've been doing digital support services since 2012. And so we were really trying to connect with kids with digital services, um, even when it wasn't comfortable or familiar. And so we've been able to be, um, you know, kind of a blessing, but also a support for all these districts who feel a lot of uncertainty. How do I reach my kids when everyone's virtual at home? How do I support and engage with them? And what you're seeing is that, you know, 60% of kids from low income communities aren't actually tapping into their schools and completing their coursework. And what we've been able to see is that schools that had student success agency pre COVID-19, their kids are engaging with services as equal as, as before. So that we were because they were ahead of the game, kids aren't losing on the interaction with their school and connecting with their school in a digital space. And so when that data kind of came out, now we have like doubled the amount of schools, doubled the amount of students, and really been able to be at a point to really help schools see that this is the future of how we support kids in a digital world. Mm -hmm. The way the kids have Netflix, Spotify, everything anywhere on on demand, it's time for their schools to be that way. School is no longer 7 to 3 p.m. It's Mm -hmm. anywhere, anytime, and kids need support services oftentimes when they're outside of your infrastructure walls. That's Mm -hmm. when they're dealing with bullying. That's when they're dealing with things at home. That's when they're questioning, um, you know, their own mental health when they're home or when they're by themselves and only attested to their own voice and their own mental capacity. That's when they need their support services most. And that's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to get school districts to realize. That's, uh, how we can be proactive in uh, a COVID world. 
Mm. So let's let's get real tactical as far from a business perspective because business has exploded over the last couple. All these schools on boarding from inception, right? It was just you and a co-founder, right? Correct. And then now, kind of talk to the scope of your team, and then over the years, and this is the time you can you really get technical with it. Go down memory lane. How you has grown as a a leader, but also too tactically, how people that are trying to getting explosive growth. How do you lead teams as far as the training? I know it's a, it, that's a, a whole season of podcast mm-hmm. with the training perspective, kind of dip, dip, dip the HR perspective. Like that is that's a huge undertaking, man. You're going about it and you're doing it at a high level, and now you you have lives at stake. Like mm-hmm. this ain't just okay. No, these are lives. People that are depending on the yeah. guidance, the counsel. So how, how 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 have you been able to go about that, man? Yeah. So um. So I graduated with a journalism degree uh, from from the University of Oklahoma. So business wasn't in my lane. Um, but I think what I'm really good at, um, that that's an undersold trait, is people. And what I mean there is, you know, I'm married to my high school sweetheart wow. since I was 16 years old. I'm in business with my best friend. You know, we've been doing this. We have not had a fight. We don't argue. We work well together. Um, so I'm relatively, um, all everyone who's a full-time member on our team has mm-hmm. been here since 2015. So we, we're keeping our staff, we're keeping our team. Mm-hmm. And so I think people is a skill, but I also think I, I, I'm just a believer there's, you should probably have a co-founder maybe even two co-founders. And so I break it down like this. There's three CEOs in in an organization. And sometimes one person could be all three. But for me, I think I needed three people. And so the first CEO is the chief executive officer, right? So that's a traditional CEO. That's the business person. That's not really my game. Operations, paying taxes, getting salaries out. Uh, like you said, uh, uh, bringing on employees, making sure they understand their packages, Mm -hmm. making sure you're accessing HR. So that's, Michael, right? He's our COO um, and he's everything around business. That's mm-hmm. the first CEO. The second CEO is a chief evangelist officer. Mm-hmm. Now that's me. That would be, you know, the storyteller, the salesman, the leader, the woo, the inspiration, uh, the one who can convince re- vision, do the recruiting, doing the motivation, the morale. Now the final one is only really needed if, if you're a tech company and that's a chief engineer officer. Mm-hmm. And so that's our tech, uh, our, our CPO, our chief product officer, Chad, he's our, uh, CPO and, um, really is really focusing on thinking about our product at scale. He's been with us since 2015 and without him, we wouldn't have been able to, uh, track safely our digital pieces and, and, and be able to support kids digitally. So those three pieces are very important. And then everywhere else, I really believe the last thing you should you should hire for is sales. Like yeah. that's the last thing a CEO should be doing. Mm-hmm. So me and Michael still do the sales, but yeah. we have hired everywhere else. So we have a director of school success who works on once we close the sale, getting mm-hmm. them through the process of setting up and establishing student success agency at their school. And then we also have a safety team, which focuses on, right, we're not counselors, we're not social workers. So we have a safety team, um, which includes a psychologist, a safety team that works on if a kid you know, says depression or suicide, how do we walk through and support our agents and our team of, of mentors? We have hundreds of mentors who who work with our students across the country, and so and then for those for those mentors, we have a director of, of agent success. We call our mentors agents, and he's focused on training the agents, recruiting the agents, and then under him, we have a bunch of agent leads who then be able to coach agents along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our team, and then we also have a director of student success, student experience, making sure that kids are are. are, are we're looking at retention, mm-hmm. looking at um, just kids' overall experience. So um, our team's really strong, and uh, we're, we're we're nine full time. 
So okay. nine full time, and then we have the hundred plus um, agents so, across man, the country. Man, like nine full time people that depend on salary every two weeks or a month yep. or how we're set up, man. Like one, when did your head wrap around? Like, hold up, like not only are we supporting students, like I'm supporting lives. So if, if I don't go out and eat, not only I, because yep. you I mean you can go back live simple, yep. right? But now you have somebody that may have kids and all this other yeah. stuff. And you know, if you don't go get like, how did that change your philosophy as you approach business, you approach life in general? Now do you have not only students, but you have real families and friends yep. that you're working with. And if you don't go get it, it's yeah. they looking at you and it's not, it's not a friendly look, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, this is my kids. This is, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. And I think that's been like the craziest. I mean, we talk about first generation college kids, <laughs> but we're, you know, first generation entrepreneurship is a thing as well in the sense of, you you know how to hustle and bustle for yourself and you could live you know sleeping on a on a you know twin bed you sleeping on the floor sleeping you blow an air mattress yeah, you could do it but but yeah one of my biggest proudest moments recently is we had our first employee who um d- has a kid now and so she was she was pregnant and she took maternity leave and i was really honored <laughs> that we were able to pay 3 months of of a salary while being able to take care of her kid. That was, those were big moments for me seeing our employees being able to uh, buy a car or or buy, um, you know, a house is, is been really important. With your W2. Yeah. 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 Like it's it's crazy. Like they're not, you know, back in the day, entrepreneurship, you like trying to get loans, entrepreneurs, like it's like, it's a graveyard. Cause you like, how do I, do I have the right paperwork? But now people are going to the bank to verify it. It's crazy. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think honestly, like, now that I am a CEO or like uh-huh. an owner of, of owner of a company, I actually didn't realize like I don't know why anyone would want to do this unless you really enjoy what you're going after. Um, just wanting to be a CEO because it sounds cool, um, man. I always think back in my life when it was just me being a speaker and how I could just speak for a living and never think about stuff. Mm-hmm. But now you're the last person. If people have problems, you go to you. You know, you're kind of like you're kind of like you know how you always have that dad who's like. Who who provides all that work? All the all the like they basically pay the bills, but like the teenagers don't respect them. They think they're awful dad. You're so strict or all this, and you don't really know. Like man, this guy's making sure there's food on the table. Yeah. But like when you're a young kid, you're like, man, my dad sucks. And so I feel <laughs> like that sometimes as a CEO, it's like you got to be the you're, you're out there selling. You don't want to got to be out there selfless. You know, someone call it and and you. But then what's great about our team? Everyone has that on our team. Um, and and I believe like core values and and you can't fake care selflessness is a form of compound interests um and and if you show that you know to your team they'll ride or die for you uh and our, our team's amazing and what's crazy is when you feel like you're the most underqualified and you're like how the hell why the hell are these people working for me like with me and then at the same time like a lot of these people, I'm their first job they've ever had. So then like, wow. man, am I giving them the wrong facade out of college? Like what a job is? Cause we're 100% virtual. We don't own office space. We don't live by each other. We all zoom in. Um, you know, we live all across the country and our work policy is, you know, work where you want, when you want, from wherever you want. Um, as and ho- stuff gets yeah, done. yeah. And as long as stuff gets done. So you have people who Airbnb go on road trips, visit family and friends all the time. And we're very agile. How do, how do you build like accountability with that? Because I mean, it could seem because a lot of people, especially a lot of corporate companies, they're going yeah. virtual and some people are micromanaging. Some people don't, there's no accountability. Yeah. It's like, how do you, what processes in place do you have to make sure people are not to make sure people that sound like an overseer, but just to encourage the company yeah. culture of doing what they say they're going to do at a good time. Yeah, no. So, um, we do, we really try to limit our meetings. We do only one meeting Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we do that meeting and that's the one day where we work with each other virtually mm-hmm. so you can see each other working uh-huh. um but then we, we we set up okrs which is really how it's like kpis but you know it's a google format uh the bill the gates melinda foundation uses it as well but okrs is um how we kind of just track key results and are they actually getting things done and if you do that and also we empower them to be entrepreneurial everyone on our team one of my favorite lines to our team is everyone on our, in our company is underqualified for what positions we have in this organization. Even me as CEO, I've never, yeah. I've never done this. You never done this, but we got literally 22 years old building out our safety process on how to build safety digitally, right? Like we have, we have 20, three years old training, creating recruitment pipelines at the time when we started. And so these, so when you empower them to be like, yo, I'm such a, um, I'm not a micromanager at all. I'm actually, I think they wish I was more involved because I, I'm such a person. It's like once I put someone in place and, and tell them this is your big vision, you just let it go. I trust you. Yeah. Me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, cause I, yeah. And so, yeah. And so we just been able to have, I mean, our team has built out some crazy stuff that turned our, like, this is such a team. And so everyone on our team has equity in our, in our organization. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so being able to then empower that kind of exponential opportunity for them to really think about, uh, the long term of SSA, mm-hmm. it's just been really exciting. Mm, man, that's so. Now let's let's get let's get let's get let's get trilling the things right. How? Because this is our second time on the show, and, and, and you know I've known you for a long time, man. How how have you grown? And 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 how have you grown? Out what areas do you think you still have to grow mentally as far as coping with um, being now not only a CEO. But also too now a husband, right? Yeah. So that first time we last time we talked, yep. you were still you were steady. I've been together forever, but you weren't necessarily yeah, yeah. married. Now you're married, got your own house. So it's like a how, how's that duality? Because yeah, a lot of people listen to your show. Some of them are in corporate, some of them are entrepreneurs, some of them would like to be have their own businesses. But now with 30, 30 plus, a lot of people on the show, they they're married or they're dating or whatever, and it's a whole new concept because now it's different. Has there been a difference between when you were dating and now you're married? And and how's that process been for you, man? Like juggling the two. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I say there's three ways I feel like I got lucky. You know, mm-hmm. the parents I I had growing up, the Bill Gates scholarship, and you know meeting my wife at a young age. Because really, you know, I was I was a class clown kind of guy, and she was valedictorian. And I believe wow. a lot of my discipline and a lot of my um skill sets were learning by how she operated and me wanting to keep up with her. Mm-hmm. And uh what's crazy is I mean we've been together. I mean, I think next year we be next year or 2 years from now I would have spent more of my life with her than without her. So like, you know, cuz I've been dating her since I was 16, I'm 31, so by the wow. time I hit 33, I will you know, have been with her longer than I've been without her. And a quick thing, cause this is right here. I know this ain't a relationship podcast, man, man. That's a lot of experience with the woman, right? Last experience with a human, a partner. What are some tips out there for the brothers out there? This kind of helps y'all. Cause I know everybody has flaws, but what has been some of the main ingredients to capture a relationship that long and sustaining? Yeah. So, uh, to be real, I'm going to be honest that I've seen my relationship broke up during quarantine. <laughs> I've seen marriages dissolve during yeah. this COVID stuff. You know, you please say friends that stuff dissolve. So I want to first give you a roses by honoring the, the woman and not say you're not honoring something happened, but yo, that's an accomplishment. So what's some, what's some key things, man? Give us right here. Yeah, man. You know, I, I honestly think the biggest key is everything worth having takes time. I mean, everything worth having takes time. And I believe that if you're able, I think the problem right now with people is that, um, we, 
we're, we're impatient. And when it gets hard, uh, we don't realize like the hardest part is when like you're really testing uh, yourself. I mean, me and her spent time away, like in college, like we went to, you know, I, I was two grades older than her. So when I graduated, I moved to Fort Worth. She was still mm-hmm. living in Oklahoma. And so it gets hard. And then she went to dental school and like we, I mean, we had dental school and that stress of dental school. Is she a dentist? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, um, you married, you married in the money. I feel yeah, it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sugar mama too. So that's not too bad. But, um, yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like really understanding, like, I mean, I even think about business, right? I've been doing student success agencies since 2012, eight years, and we're finally really growing our true business. It took six years. And I think it's the same way with love and, and, and trusting somebody. And maybe it's more gullible because I've only been with one person, but I'm a believer that, you know, I was always even like, I just believe people can work things out together um, if they're willing to go the distance. But then as well as like, I'm not mad on like being single. Like I've like, I'm such a believer in a multiverse and there's like, you only get one life, 100 years. So like, I understand that pressure as well, but I just believe like you have to have, find someone who, who you see is better than you. Like that pushes you every day. I wake up every day, think, man, how do I be as great as her today? You got to then also look at, is this someone who fundamentally is a ride or die? Like she, she knows me when I had, you know, hair on my head and, you know, rolling in a 1993 Honda accent with mixed paint and, you know, uh, subwoofer was more expensive than actual car. And, uh, everything was just an idea and we were living off of her dental loans, right? She knows me from the beginning of time. And so that ride or die is also something you can't, you can't fake. So one question I, I wanted to ask and talk through about, um, cause I heard you say it real quick. It's been six to eight years rather till it's like it really became a business and not only because you were because because i remember we talked at one point you were paying employees but you just started really to pay yourself at, a, at an adequate rate talk to us about patience man because i think that's really critical in life and every spec especially when you first start like it takes sometimes yeah. people blow up fast or yeah. it, it looks like they're blowing up fast yeah, yeah. and then Speak specifically to your story. If you can kind of give us some story, master story, tell us some stories because people get principles about patience, but I want people to draw yeah. in and say, okay, what does it look like in a business? Yeah. And what it look like for you? Yeah. I'm, I'm always never, never ashamed to, to talk about the real, the real parts of business. I mean, when we started student success agency, me and my wife, we were living off of her dental loans mm-hmm. and, um, really living off of debt to both get her an education and, and me to really work on my business. You know, my business partner was working at a restaurant serving steaks and, um, you know, getting tips at a fancy dinner to pay himself. And I didn't start paying myself. You know, we had, we had eight employees before I started paying myself. Um, six years in is that by strategy like is, is that how did that how did that happen yeah a lot of the strategy was and and let me let me preface that i was getting paid as a, i still do speaking right mm-hmm. so speaking was really paying my bills and that's why i'm such a bigger big component on like don't quit your job to start your business like your job is going to supply you an income while you double down and invest in your business so a lot of people say i need to quit my job and go all in uh like I, i'm such a b- believer that your job allows you to then invest the profits into scaling your business. And so that's really how I use speaking. I was paying my bills through speaking Mm -hmm. and um, I didn't start paying myself until about two years ago. Wow. And, um, but 
but it's cool because I'm still getting paid as a speaker. So okay. it's allows to create, you know, a, a different financial freedom, but also believe like the greatest financial freedom, um, is also how you live your life. Mm. I think the most richest person isn't always the person with the most money. It's the person who has the least amount of bills at the beginning of the month. <laughs> yeah. And so me and my wife, we live in a, uh, a modest, uh, house. We have one car. It's a, oh. it's a, uh, uh, a raw four, mm-hmm. a hybrid, you know, like where we, we have a very practical lifestyle and, you know, we, you know, during COVID-19, I lost 80% of my income, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of speaking went down. She lost her job because dental practice had to shut down mm-hmm. and we were still able to survive because we live massively within our means. We mm-hmm. made too much to get any, um, government, uh, stipend during the the uh, government uh, handouts of the twelve hundred dollars a month, so we got neither of that. <laughs> wow! And so we Y'all just got iced out the whole thing. Hopefully, yeah, you got the PPP. Yeah, well, our company, yeah, our company was able to do that. Yes, yeah, so our company got the PPP. Um, and um, but yeah, but so, but because I believe when people want the American freedom, it's the freedom to dream not the freedom to buy things. And I believe I have set myself up to be one of the most freest people in the world. And do I have the fanciest stuff? No, but I get to wake up every day and work on a crazy idea and work with people who I love, who gets me excited, who works hard. And then, so to me, a lot of it is like, how do you establish yourself and what is important to you? I think a lot of people buy the car when the car costs the same as much as hiring an employee. Rather than having the BMW, I'd rather hire another person. And I think a lot of people need to start framing the thinking decades instead of days. Rather than thinking about what your 25-year-old self wants or your 28-year-old self wants, what does your 65-year-old self wants? And everything I make a decision on is what does my 65-year-old self wants? And if I could take steps that are that long, then I'm okay. We haven't taken any venture capital. Mm -hmm. And so- Have there been opportunities to do so? Yep. And and so- Yeah. And the reason is, and that's another whole thing, you know, I think everyone's really big about venture capital and tech. Um, but honestly, venture capital is giving money to somebody Mm -hmm. who then wants you to exit in seven years. Mm -hmm. And so if you really love what you do, Mm -hmm. um, if you really love what you're doing, um, they're focused on margin and increasing that and, and turning an investment out of you. You're just another company to them. And so a lot of people need to raise venture capital. Maybe, um, if you're looking to like grow, a billion dollar business. Like for mm-hmm. us, we're, we might be a billion dollar business. I think we can be a billion dollar business, but I'm also willing to go 30 years when venture capital need to go in seven. Cause these mm-hmm. are old heads and they try to make money tomorrow, yeah. but I don't need to make money tomorrow. I need to make a right lifestyle for me, uh, for a long time. And one of my biggest positive things I say is every single one of us is a legacy designer. Now, what does that mean? Everyone wants to leave a legacy and they are like, oh, I want my name to be remembered. I want to be remembered with Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, my name to be remembered, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. But what you really want to be is a legacy designer. That means when you die, people still live off of the things you designed, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody knows who invented the toilet, right? Mm -hmm. That person's dead. But every day, me, you, and everybody else still use their design, right? (laughs) Nobody knows who invented the stoplight. But every day, me and you have to stop our car to make traffic flow processing so we don't have less crashes. So I'm a believer, if you want to live forever, if you want to live purposefully, how do you create legacy design so that when you die, people are still existing and living in your design that makes the world a better place. And that's mm-hmm. where everything I'm working on, and I feel like I'm Euro stepping through, yeah. it's just, I'm trying like to be conscious of the reason why I don't have venture capital, because this is not all about money for me. The reason why I don't have venture capital is because I pit the margin to the mission. 
And I believe it's a competitive advantage. A lot of our competitors that we go against has already take venture capital. Mm -hmm. They're no longer the owner of their organization. They have a board. I don't have a board. I don't have to give monthly updates to any investors. I am my own boss and we are, we are our own magic. Venture capital and startups think it's all about hyper growth and becoming growing as fast as possible. When I believe it's about finding your magic and, and protecting that magic because why people spend billions of dollars is because they're looking for the magic. And when you have the magic, we have the magic. We're, we're growing. We've doubled in size. Um, we're multi-million dollar organization. And, you know, we have done all of this with no investors and we're keeping our clients. Um, we're keeping our staff. Um, and all of this is happening because we know we have the magic. Our team is magical and I'm not going to just bring in some investor in here to fuck that all up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and change all that. And because they want to grow faster, mm-hmm. we are growing, but we're growing, right? We're building right products rather than easy products to, to flip and sell. And, and when you live with so much purpose, it becomes a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and so you got to be very ca- careful with venture capital, um, because it's just a sexy thing that people try to act like is actually valuable. It's sad that Forbes 30 under 30 or the top 500 companies, a lot of it's about the first question they ask is how much money you raise. Mm -hmm. That means how much money did you knock on the door and have to ask your dad, can you, can you loan me $10 million so I could grow my business? It's not real revenue. It's not real sustainable profit. And look at, look at Uber, right? They're still billions in debt. (laughs) Netflix, $70 billion in debt. Now for those companies, it makes sense because they're on a hyper growth stage. But for most of us, Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. And we're not getting there uh, unless like we've shown n- normal growth. If you can't get to a million dollars in revenue pre venture capital, y- you really are throwing a lot of money at it, at something that's, you know, we don't even know if it's a real business. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that is such a thing. We should be educating more people. You can be a tech entrepreneur without taking venture capital. And being that your background, like I said, is in journalism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And like I said, you've had mentors in the speaking game, but from a business perspective, what, what was there certain people? Was it certain books? Was it just your energy that got, like, how, how have you been able from a business perspective to, to get so much knowledge on? Is it just trial and error experience? Was it a mixture of both a cornucopia of, of, of a, a, I just want to use that word. That's why I said yeah, a cornucopia of different things, man. Like, ah, like where does it all come from? Yeah. So, um, I think the one thing that is, my my biggest thing that I believe I am naturally good at or where I get oxygen from is having intense vision. I'm a very intense person. I I I constantly think of the future at the most highest guard. The thing that gets me life is how do I change the world at the most macro size within my strengths. I mean, even when I was a kid, I was eight years old playing peewee football. My mom would buy the the pictures where you sit next to the football with the helmet on the ground and you take a picture and he, they kind of give you like the little football card version of yourself. Like if you're an athlete. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the cutout joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And like it, has your, yeah, it has like your height and weight on the back. Bro, that joke's real. Yeah. yeah. And so my mom would buy these, you know, you know, and I would, I stole them from her and I cut out like holes in them and I ripped up my jersey at the end of the year and I put them in there and I laminated them and I made mint condition jersey cards and I autographed them and I made one out of 25, two out of 25, three. So I had 25 of these. You still mint- got them? You no, still got no, one? No, 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 I don't. Bro, I wish. Then you I got know, it. I know. That's my uncle story, does. Right, Brent, my I uncle already does. seen the keynote. You're like, yeah. yeah. And then, boom, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know how it would layer, but that. Yeah, yeah. My, I, uncle, that j- my uncle does. And because I, I literally mailed them out to all my uncles and, and family and this 
this eight-year-old card and I put it next to M- my card next to Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to be one of those guys one yeah. day. That's how I thought. Even yeah. at eight, I was thinking of- You got like a, a running back build, a <laughs> soccer build too, though. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm too I'm too tiny. I, I was <laughs> playing football football up to sophomore year in high school and then our linebacker that went to Kansas State uh-huh. literally hit me 10 feet. JV versus varsity. I was like, yeah, I'm not built for this anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, man. So like that vision was very- um, instilled at a very young age like i just naturally and and i think if you want to do something bold and crazy Mm -hmm. you got to it has to be it's my lifestyle man i i have to look every day you know making hundreds of thousands of dollars and only x go to my pocket and be okay that i'm invested in the growth of our company Mm -hmm. all that hard-earned money going to trusting people trusting r and r and d and innovation trusting that you're making the right decisions that's that's it's because there's no other way and here's the thing if everything went out tomorrow yeah. if everything was lost I, I would i would i would continue i would go move back home with my mom and say, hey mom i need to live here because i still believe my business i have no other way to operate mm-hmm. and i believe so much in what i do it's bigger than business i don't think i'm a real entrepreneur where i love business where i would start any business like hey let's go like start a washing machine company i wouldn't get excited about that like there's some people like a mark cuban or people who could like have a hundred different businesses doing a hundred different things I'm one of those guys, I'm doing the one thing I'm meant to do, and that's all I care about. And so that's why for me, venture capital is also scary, because like, if this is one thing I feel purpose, this is what Kevin Sinstrom from Instagram feels like. He gave up Instagram. He had the magic. They, he sold the magic for a billion dollars. Now it's the largest social media platform in the country, and he's sitting around like, man, only if I could rebuild that magic again. Mm. Only if I could do that again. And he's been trying to invest in companies. He's been trying to find he's what giving he's giving away his do. money yeah. just to find the thrill again. Yeah. And that is what people people are chasing when you see your worth. And if you believe you have your magic, don't just give that up um, because you have a long life to live. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what makes you special is that magic. Mm. So cultivating intensity, right? Would you say it came from just your, your is it a family thing? Like what is it? Was, is there any particular moment or you just always had that boom? Because I know a lot of people talk about intensity. I'm like, oh, where does it come from? What is it? What is the stem? What's the pulse of it? Yeah, you know. Um, and what? And what, what? What's? And also too, since we're here, we just going out with your parents, man. What? Like, what type of vibe or energy would like so your mom? Yeah, your pops that's where. And, yeah, yeah, that's where I was gonna go. I mean, I think it's really cool when you look back in your family history and you see what your family's done. It's uh, cool for some, challenging for some others. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but, but then it, but it shows you like a great example is is. You know, like, you know, my grandpa um, was a furniture salesman, mm-hmm. right? My mom did international sales. And so I think it's crazy how, like, when you look historically, like, you know, I do, technically I'm a salesman, you mm-hmm. know, but I'm a salesman at scale. And I think there's a lot of cool things where I think, yeah, naturally, genetically, I think I got this enthusiasm salesman mantra um, that also my parents had, you know, and, or my grandparents had mm-hmm. and without really knowing it, right. My dad was a little bit more introvert and um, a quiet guy, but I can t- tell I got that from my mom, my grandpa. And, you know, I'm always a believer. Like my grandpa came from Puerto Rico to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. only like two of his eight brothers and sisters decided to do that. Right. I love all my cousins in Puerto Rico, but if, if my grandpa didn't do that, I wouldn't even be able to make this decision. And he did that when he was like 16 years old. And then my mom left the hood of Philadelphia mm-hmm. at 18 and she was the only one of her family to do that. 
And I truly believe she didn't do that. So I'm such a believer that every, that's why I'm like every decision you make impacts people you love that might not even exist yet. Right. Like it goes back to us thinking like a 60, you're like, it's not just your, your decisions now are your kids, your kids, kids. And even as it happens, your mindset is framed that way. So it's, you, you have no, you have no choice but to live personal intense. We are living yeah. examples wow. of the decisions people made before us, right? And some of us are like, damn, I'm so lucky that my mom made the right decision. Some of us are like, man, come on, dad. Like, you could have been a little better, <laughs> right? And so that's that's why it's so important. And then I'm just, I mean, even just going like, I'm such a big fan of generational wealth. Like, mm-hmm. this is, these are legit facts here. You know, you want to be in the top 10% of wealth as a white family, it's $1.7 million. Mm-hmm. You want to be in the top 10% of wealth for and black liquid, family. like... Like net worth. Yeah, yeah. What net worth? You want to be a top 10% for black families? It's $374,000, right? So that's, that's real stuff right there. And so we got to think in generational wealth. We got to think in exponential opportunity. Um, you know, we have to get a black Mark Zuckerberg, a Latina Jeff Bezos. Like these are the next big steps we got to do. Uh, but then we also got to restructure capitalism, right? Capitalism, um, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm super progressive and I'm super, I would argue, liberal. I'm a fan of, you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders. And, but the reason why I am is because I believe in conscious capitalism. And that is how do we create capitalism that is, if, 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 if that is also, um, proper to people. You, you know, in 1960s, the average CEO was only making 60x more than their average employee. But now a uh, Fortune 500 CEO is making 2000 plus x than the average employee. And so you're just seeing with wild, wild west capitalism, there's no, there's no audit on how much one can make. And so, and then our system, if you want to become a publicly traded company, the number one priority always is going to be a shareholder value. What profit are you giving to the shareholder? And so when you're first Mindset has to be ROI income rather than ROI impact. Mm. You're always going to have to sacrifice for people and community and what's systemically best. And that's why exploitation and lack of healthcare for Amazon employees, um, you know, lack of uh, a real livable wage for a lot of people, you know, and it's, and it's unfortunate. And that's why I'm a believer that I also don't want VCs, right? At least I don't see the value in it unless I'm aligned with them is I believe I'm making a mission driven company as a person of color. We have a responsibility to showcase how this looks. And I like you, I was a journalist, a motivational speaker, a storyteller. I'm a believer that more teachers and social workers should start companies. And here's why I say that when you're 16 years old and you ask a kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oftentimes they say, I don't know, but I know I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. I want to change the world. So what happens is they go to college and when they get on campus, they go to become a nurse. They go to become a teacher. They go to become in it's the military. A a genius for the most. Some people that have built that is their yeah, genius, yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot that's not even, yeah. they, they 60 years old. Like I didn't want this career. I didn't yeah, want yeah. this life. Yeah. They're, they're Yeah. And what they're doing is they're picking um, what seems like which are direct impact company professions yep. and they never think of the business college because in our mind business doesn't make impact business is corporate greed money and so you have so many of our most talented biggest heart young people going this way on campus and so that leaves the people in our boardrooms the people who are running companies being People more in capital, politics. Yeah, yeah, being more capitalistic focus. And that's why I'm a believer. We need more teachers to be CEOs and social workers to be CEOs because they got the right hearts to make real decisions mm-hmm. for all people, mm-hmm. not just people who own profit in organizations. Mm-hmm. And if, if we don't start restructuring capitalism, I mean, capitalism is going to kill itself 
anyways, right? Yeah. It's like a it's like a wolf that has a knife with sasson on it and a, and, a, and adobo and and they can't stop <laughs> licking it and they're just bleeding out because they're so hungry for profit rather than being conscious. And so I, I want to be a conscious, you know, anti capitalist CEO in a way mm-hmm. um, where you can showcase and still make good money, mm-hmm. you know, but not be exploiting and not making the world a better place. Mm, mm, mm. If you had to take your three biggest moments in your career um, or your three biggest accomplishments and then your three biggest challenges that you overcome and learn from, and, and it could be personal, it could be career wise, but yeah. So you want a total of six things? Yeah, six things. All right. So making them kind yeah, of typically, I wouldn't do six, but you're a speaker, so you can you can yeah, yeah, you yeah. can finesse it. Yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, I think one of the first biggest moments in my life is winning the Bill Gates Scholarship, mm-hmm. right? I, and I always talk about the Bill Gates Scholarship as a full ride scholarship to school. Mm-hmm. Thousands of students apply, only a handful get it. And also realize here, Bill Gates did it fifty fifty to fifty women of color and males of color. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I was a male. I was going in against a lot less competition than a female. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the data of first generation kids going to college, eight out of every 10's a woman. Yeah. And so because I was a male, I was, I didn't get it. I was in the top 25% of my graduating class. When I took the ACT, my eighth grade brother got a higher score to me. Wow. So, but I was still, because we men struggled through taking academics seriously, I was going against a different pool and so that Bill Gates scholarship changed my life, right? And so and it allowed me to go to college for, for free. Yeah, for free. Everything, tuition, everything. everything. Yeah. Books, La- laptop, room and board, everything. Wow. Yeah. So that was one. Jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> one, that was one. Um, and then obviously, I think two was my wife. You know, I think that was a big piece, like just building the habit, you know, and just seeing someone work hard and uh, just be really mature. Mm. Um, that was also big. And then really three, a proud moment will probably be um, just actually, I mean, every day I get to wake up doing what I'm doing. And it's that fact that like, there's other people who are working hard on what we do that, like you said, we're paying and, and we're going to be able to give raises here during a pandemic to our team. Mm-hmm. While um, we were able to keep our entire team during a pandemic, we doubled our company during a pandemic and all of that. I, I, I really keep that. I've never really like do that, like share that with a lot of my speaker friends because I have empathy as I've lost all that revenue as well. And I'm so blessed that I had SSA to hold me through and so, but that was a moment for me to be able to be prepared for thinking futuristic and being prepared for a moment like this. Um, if our president was like that, we would have never had to shut down the economy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I won't go there because uh, now I want to go to my three hardest parts. Yeah. I mean, my three hardest parts is probably, you know, me and my wife were in six figures of, of college debt. Even though I went to college for free, yeah. right? So because she became a dentist, so um, a part of why we can't buy the mansion is because our biggest monthly payment is the college debt every month, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of us, right? A lot of people of color, and that's what I'm always a big believer too. Is when people don't understand generational wealth, is me and another, me and a white guy can make the same amount of money, but I got to worry about usually college debt. Mm-hmm. I got to worry about my mom who didn't save up for retirement. Mm-hmm. I got to worry about if I want to go on a family vacation, I got to probably fund it where even also, even to add even bail money, yeah, yeah, um, bail, lawyer money. Cause exactly. we, you know, with the policing, et cetera, like yeah. there's always a family member that needs something like yeah. we don't like do we, a family member needs. Correct. Something. Yeah. People you're the needs. Yeah. Yeah. You're always. So even, so when you're the one to make it as a person of color, <laughs> 
people rely on you. The whole family. Yeah, yeah. But when when you equally make it as just a white counterpart with generational wealth, you have the ability to invest in long-term success. And that's why there's such a gap in wealth. I mean, this even goes for graduates, black and brown graduates from college. We are still massively financially under wealth compared to our white counterparts who go to college. So one, going to that college debt. Um, two, um, I think it's just a constant struggle of just like, you know, I'm is, is, is always being the last person to to deal with the answer. And then also like, I, again, I don't really have a CEO coach. Mm-hmm. There's no one in my family that did this and I'm trying to figure it out as it go. And so every day is like an insecurity talk of like, am I doing the right thing? What am I doing in my life? You know, spending that money, seeing my other friends buy the car, buy the, buy the house, buy the stuff. And you and, have multi-million dollar business. Yeah. And, and it's I, like, yeah, yeah. And you <laughs> what gotta, am I doing? Yeah. 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 What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- those two things. And, um, yeah, three. I'm just I, I'm such an advocate. Like, I'm I'm afraid of of you only got one life, so I'm anxiety every day of of you know m- me and my wife don't have children yet. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, that, I, mean, I go to bed. Do I want children? Do I? You do I do? No, I don't. Like that's something we always. So these insecurities of how like you have one life. Um, so I have very privileged problems. Um, do you have a therapist as well? No, but I should. I, I should. I believe. Yeah, I should. Um. Because I've, I've realized I've been holding up a lot of it. When you yeah. have to be the CEO or when you have to be the strong person, you hold up so much baggage inside and you need somewhere to, um, that's why I'm also a believer, maybe a, a CEO coaches as well. Um, oh yeah, they cost it, a lot. Yeah, but yeah. it's just, because you know, especially when you have an, it, especially with personality like mine, because I'm very intense as well. You're intense. A lot of times you can intense your way through a lot of mental blocks yeah. that really you need to address, but you just say, bump it. Are we going to go get it? Yeah. But at some point at 30, 31, 32, at some point at 50, it's going to be a common kind of where it's all like, not come crashing out, yeah. but all hits. Like, yo, yeah. all the stuff that I just blocked out because I've been so intense. I've been driving and changing lives. So you get off. Oh, I'm changing lives. So it's like, okay, but it's like, but you still got that stuff. And it's, 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 but only certain people understand that because yeah. everybody, I mean, and God didn't make everybody to be a certain way, but so only certain few people understand the workload of it and the intensity of it and the mindset that goes into the responsibility of that. But it's a, I can imagine how it's a very kind of weird, mm-hmm. it's a weird, that weird slight gray area where things are going phenomenal and even the challenges you hit them, but it's like this slight area is like, I could lose everything right now. My mind can unwind. I don't know. And if I if I falter, everything it's like yeah. it's a weird. It's a, it's adrenaline, but it's really weird, man. For certain, yeah. People. And, and and I believe like again, not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. And I and I'm also a believer like, um, being able to live and do what you want and be happy. Like my wife's a dentist, and honestly, she doesn't enjoy it. She hates it. I mean, she looks at what I get to do, and she's like jealous that I'm so happy about it. And. And so one, if you get to do what you love to do, I don't care if you're making $30,000 or $300,000. It's the fact that you're able to wake up and do what you want to do and pay your bills. You are a winner. Blank. That is winning because most people can't find that but and why be able do to that? do that. But why in school is it like, you know, it's still the same name, doctor, lawyer, engineer. When I was like, yo, but what if I could just sit at home, make beats all day and I get paid? Like, is that, is that why? Oh no, you're lazy. Oh, what if I really just want to smoke weed, make beats? And chill. 
well, if you if you if you're comfortable that you live in that, but in school it's like, no, you need to be an engineer. You can do all that. Like, yeah, I mean, and and that's and that's an example of why I oftentimes worry about our most smartest kids, like my wife, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of her dental friends and all these dental people, what they are are our best crop of high school kids who then knew how to follow the rules at the best highest game. They killed high school. They crushed college. They crushed dental school. And now they're a bunch of six figure making dentists who are now still not happy and it wasn't what they i followed your rules you said to be a doctor you said to be an engineer i did it and why is this not enjoyable and i think that's why i'm also a believer of like we have to teach kids more on how to control their own narrative and so much of the future jobs is learning how to see that future if you're saying i want to be a doctor a lawyer an engineer you're still talking like it's 1999 you should be saying stuff like i want to be a data scientist a ux designer um, you know, these kind of different opportunities out there, uh, that, that allows you to, that allows you to succeed. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, those are, those are kind of my big things. How I also like to look at it is I mentioned to you legacy designer. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the first step, but it's usually people's last step. They think about their legacy last. The first step they think about is their career. Mm-hmm. The second step they think about is their lifestyle. And then the third step is their legacy. And so when you're, 16 years old and you think what I want to do, you think about career. I want to be a nurse. But then what happens is you become a nurse, you make $80,000 a year, you create an $80,000 lifestyle, and then you leave your legacy as I was a great parent. I provided for my kids and it's a great legacy. That's an awesome legacy. Mm -hmm. But exponential people, people who do massive great things, they start from legacy first, right? Mm -hmm. Elon Musk, I want to colonize Mars, that's the legacy. And then you work back backwards. Okay, now I need to make money. Uh, so I'm going to start three companies. I'm going to become an owner of a car company. I'm going to become an owner of SolarCity, SpaceX. I need to create money in order to fund this legacy. So then his career is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But he didn't say, I want to be an entrepreneur when I grew up. He said, I want to colonize Mars. And so what is your legacy? And then you work backwards. I want to support climate change and climate policy. Okay, so might, you might become an activist. Mm-hmm. You might become an investigative journalist. You might become an entrepreneur. It changes when you start back. And then, you, and then when you go with legacy, then start to go to lifestyle. All right, well, what kind of lifestyle you want? If you say you want to be a lawyer, but now you got to be you know, working maybe for the government, and you got to work 12 hours, you're not, you know, and then it's like a lot of paperwork. You got to think about lifestyle, right? So for me, like for me, right? I work from home. Uh, I get to work where I want, when I want. Um, I have the freedom to do what I want to do. That was important for me. So who am I today? Mm-hmm. I'm my own boss. I'm a speaker. Do I make the most money compared to my friends who maybe work in oil and gas and or work for Facebook? No. But I control my legacy, mm-hmm. my lifestyle, and my career is the last thing I th- you think about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of young, a lot of people when we start out, we get taught to think about career, and then our career focuses the rest of our lifestyle. That's it. And if we can re-engineer that, that is. I think the way we get people to be more happy and purposeful in the work they do. And that's why when we go, we look in the world, the world to some is a very, it's a weird place right now. There's a lot of people, even before pandemic, that were hurting. You could, you could just tell energy is like, yo, I'm just trying to get through the week. I'm waiting for Friday. It's like, do we work? You live until 30, 35, whatever, all these years, you get a gift to be on earth and you living for weekends. And no, it's no shame. I get it. Cause you has some sacrifices. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, do as a human, do we taking life that for granted we would live for the weekends? Like, what's that? The ideology is just scary. 
Yeah, no, I mean, one of my, if you ask me what I'm most sad about in the world, um, I personally be- believe humans don't um, dream big enough. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a believer that we don't believe um, we can change the world. We, it, 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 if, if le- we only have less than 2% of people who actually believe in changing the world, if we could get that to 4%, 8%, we would be much further in life. Realize a hundred years ago was World War One, mm. right? Uh, try to explain to a World War One vet what TikTok is. That was only a hundred years ago. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she just died. In 1974, she passed law that allows women to get a credit card without a man. 1974, that's not fucking far, far away. Yes, not at all. So I always tell people like, yo, 1920, World War I just ended. Women couldn't vote. African-Americans couldn't vote. Segregation was still a thing. So what is 2120 going to look like? What are people in 2120 going to say about, yo, they don't try to explain this to people in 2020. And what we need to realize, we're building 2120. And if we could believe that we're doing that, humans evolve. And that's why I'm such a believer in science and technology. And we should be investing more in science technology. I don't care what your religion or what your belief is. The world, the way to get the closer and closer to know what the future holds is investing in these things and believing we can evolve. Mm-hmm. And to think that we went from Neanderthals to Homo erectus to Homo sapiens, and to think it stops there, to think it stops where we are today, we're still evolving. And to think that we can't make an impression on the involvement of our being is so selling ourselves short as the potential of mankind. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we don't live with that much purpose. Mm. We want to get safe. We want to. We want a cradle. We want to. All right, here's mine. All right, I want to build mine. I'm protect mine. I'm going to protect mine. Just mine. Just yeah. And it's like, and it's so such a boring way to live. If money and building your nest for retirement is the most exciting thing going on in your life, it's very short term to as much potential you actually have as a human. You're living for futures that may not exist. Yeah. We're doing all this stuff because I always I'm think all down it. for retirement. I'm already down. Like yeah. we need to learn how to do it all. But if that's your your existence, that's why you're uh, you're doing it. That's that's a that's that's a lame purpose. But, but look at the narrative online. Like you go like if you open your Instagram right now, you may not be following certain Instagram accounts, but a normal person, you go, you open yeah. it up. There's a list of influencers that are selling. They're, they have the great pictures and they're selling something. There's the people now, I was talking to my friend the other day, it's like now everybody does it. Everybody's getting model photo shoots. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about everybody. You yeah. will, everybody has, of course, it's because of technology, great phones, yeah. but everybody's photo spreads, photo yeah. ops. It's like the notion of, of everything is multiple streams. And I believe multiple streams to a certain Absolutely. extent. Multiple streams, get into real estate, get your stock game up, yeah. get Forex, get a, become a speaker, <laughs> write a book, uh, uh, start your blog, start your podcast. Yeah. And it's everywhere. It's telling people to do stuff. People are doing a lot of stuff now, but it's like, sometimes it's not moments for people to say, what should I be doing though? Yeah. What do I want to do? Do you really want to start that podcast for real? Like yeah. for real? Like don't stop. Do you really want to create content all the time? Yeah. Like do you really want to go live on random? Th- like is that really what you want to yeah, do? And people don't really. What a lot of people don't understand is how like business. Like one, how business works. One of my favorite thing is I always get asked. Like I, I leave my calendar open for our mentors, our mm-hmm. college students, and and uh, who support kids digitally, our tutors and stuff like that. And I always leave my, and they always ask me, yo, how can I make a lot of money and retire by 30? And I'm like, yo, your belief system and how all this works 
is completely wrong. And people don't understand how business model works or money works. And a lot of that's our education system. And that, that even goes with the financial game, but then also what you were just talking about, the social media game. No one knows what actual journalism is. We don't know how to find factual news anymore. We, we get our news from from um, the shade room. We get our news from YouTube. And we think this is like, these are these are analysis and, and like you have to, we have to teach kids how to find news, how to understand business, how to understand that the middle house in America, the middle house, not the poorest house, the middle house makes $65,000 a year. So that's average America. So this bar, like in order to be in the top 1% of income earner in our state of Texas, it's $450,000. People act like it's, you got to be Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. And, and so one, we don't learn facts. One, we don't learn real, how to how to work with numbers. We don't we we as humans are afraid of data. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why Jesus Christ was a storyteller, not mm-hmm. a scientist, mm-hmm. right? You, we could send Doctor Fauci back to Jesus Christ's time. Mm-hmm. No one would listen to his ass because he doesn't know how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And we're so emotionally connected to storytelling, and it's probably our human error as as a being, but it's also what got us to where we are. It's the reason why we could believe in private property. What makes we as humans could all collectively believe, hey, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. That's yours. This is mine. Here's your paper. Here's my paper to show I own this or that. You do that to Neanderthals, they'd be like, I don't get this shit. Yo, I, and they'll start I, I, pushing and fighting for each other's yeah. stuff. But we could create man-made rules and all, even with a stranger, know how to follow those rules in a restaurant, know how to follow those rules in a bank, because that's what makes humans great, but also believing in fake shit is also why we're also depressed and why we also question everything that we do. Mm, man. So, wow, this kind of jumped in already to where, we, where we're going, but I always have a session in the show, or not always, but I'm, I'm starting a session because, I mean, at this point, like, kind of like what you said, the pod, I don't, podcast is not a, a it's not a business it's not a business i just yeah. really did it because i want to connect with people have good Correct. conversations and also too i mean i know for the long the long the, the legacy play was being a guy that can share stories get other people involved in stories and be the ultimate connector that's yeah. the, the that's the legacy it was never to do math no people do master class all that stuff it was never the case right so luckily i'm at a point now i can say what i want to do what i want yeah so now we're in a place where there's two things i want to have a session where is hit people in the mouth and then lift them up. Okay. Because sometimes, especially in the business people, sometimes you need to hit like, yo, it's like, stop. I keep saying it. Stop it. Like, yeah. we really need to address this in order to move forward. But then also, too, I want to have a lift up. So from what you see online and the questions you get from students, but also people your age and your group, um, and you mentioned your speaker friends, they don't know. It's tough for them now, but it's like sometimes I look like, yo, you were the same person that was getting six grand a gig, seven grand a gig, yeah. four grand a gig. Last year, you did 250. I know your lifestyle, whatever, but... I mean, eight months to be real. If you like, if you live in, but it shouldn't. And yeah. I'm not getting people's finances, but I'm like, yo, I'm not, I'm not gonna cry a river. Like I know people that made two fifty, three hundred, four hundred speaking. No, I'm not crying you river this year, bro. You decide, like a lot of things you decided to do. So now you have to get back to the, get back to how you started, where it was like you were lean. But then yeah. you got excited, start getting these cars, vacation homes. Now you got these private schools, and now all of a sudden, three months, and you like, yo, what was me? No, I'm not. No, I'm not crying, bro. Because when you first started, it was for the kids, and it was yeah. all good. But then you got system systemized. Mm-hmm. You had all these mastermind courses. You had all these things, and yeah. now you're paying thousands of months subscriptions and all that good stuff. But yeah, I'm rambling. But it was a real ramble. Real hit him in the mouth. Yeah. Um. So kind of the take here for me is if we're going to money and we're going to like success, um, understand that I'm actually less afraid of 
people who come from money, uh, who, who don't come from money, the kids I impact, the low income kids, the quote unquote at risk kids. I don't like calling them at That's risk. So I, I, I like to call them high growth kids. We should be investing mm. in our high growth kids like we invest in high growth startups because every, in every kid that we invest in, uh, has high exponential to change their family, to change their community and their city. I'm actually more worried about the suburb middle class kids and the people who grow up comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you, that bite of the dog is what you said is that people are worried about the facade of like cars and, and houses and understand like, I, that's my number one, like punch in the face is like, just because you have CEO in your IG don't mean you're an entrepreneur. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who work for companies. Chamath Palahapatia, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, he made his billions being like one of the first employees at Facebook. He's one of the owners of Golden State Warriors. Steve mm-hmm. Ballmer, the owner of Cl- the Clippers, he didn't start a business. He was the 30th person at Microsoft. Sometimes being an entrepreneur isn't starting a business. It's about finding the magic, going back to the beginning. It's about finding the magic and investing and doubling down in the magic. Yeah, sure. I'm the CEO of Student Success Agency, but you know what would be a lot better? It would have been nice to have been the fifth person at Tesla. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if I could have met Tim at a coffee shop and believe in Elon and double down my life, that, that, that would work out pretty nicely as well. And so one, entrepreneurship is not putting CEO in your IG. It's finding the magic and doubling down in the magic, regardless if you're the person who started the magic mm-hmm. or if you're the hundredth person at magic. The hundredth person at Facebook makes more money than 99% of these CEOs who want to act like they're out here to make money. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess, now lifting up mm-hmm. is you don't need that much money. Mm-hmm. The top 5%, to be in the top 5% of revenue companies, it's only 10, it's only $2 million in revenue. If you were in, if you revenue $2 million, you're in the top 5% of companies. In the world. In the, in the country. In the country. Yeah, yes. in the country. And how that, I mean, so realize, like, that's that's not a ton. Again, going back to to be in the top 10 wealth category, you're talking $2 million. Mm-hmm. You're not talking tons of money. And and so one, those are all real goals and real real possibilities for people, right? And so when you believe, like, if you think, wow, I can never be a successful entrepreneur because you look at the 0.001%, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bezos, you then become flawed on what real success is. Mm-hmm. And then also understand that just because people are making things look successful, I think trendiness is really weird. Like mm-hmm. all, all these venture capital cats and all these people who raise money, it's like, these aren't real businesses. These are, these are, these are, yeah, made up. So um, understanding that, you don't need a lot of money to be actually really successful. And um, yeah, don't send your kids to private school. Go to public school. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast. That's a whole other stuff. You know? I want to have that discussion with yourself. Before we close a couple of things, I want to just talk on humility. I think that's one thing that you've always, from what I've seen, being able to understand, like you said, you don't always have to be the main guy, yeah. the main woman. Is that you don't have to always start everything and stuff like, okay, I want to start my pockets. No, what what's some pockets you really like? And you just maybe you can help produce, maybe you could just like yeah. there's just other ways and it's, instead of you being the focus. One thing I always admired about you, um, just knowing what I know from afar and even studying you, because I study I study a lot of my friends. I really I'm a I study people. Um I study how they post content, but most importantly, I just study how they move and I can get a quick, quick analysis and quick, quick read on people. 
Um, one thing I always notice about you is just your your humility. Not in the fact of, of what people would say, oh, being bashful about what you do. Nah, not in that, not in the what people can see type of way, but really in humiliating your actions. Like I said, not taking a salary until a couple years ago like that. Um, really having selflessness to say incorporate other people into the team. Like see, if, for me, it's kind of hard to be personal where we start like this year I started making real, real money and then sometimes think like if I bring one other person who can add value, but like, yo, that means that I already got one person. My cut is now a third, a whole third. Like, dang, like that means in your mind automatically goes that scarcity mindset, right? Yeah. Some, for some people, for me it has. So I'm still opening up. Okay, now even hiring people, getting help. But me now, like I said, I'm doing all this other stuff. Luckily, I outsource certain things, but certain things I know I need to hire, but I'll, I, yeah. I, I won't do it. Um, it's harder for me to do yeah. it. So how have you been able to cultivate a spirit of, I don't know if humility is the right word, but being able to, to pass the ball. Yeah. But not only pass the ball waiting to like, yo, I need it bad, but like, let them cook. And then sometimes you're on the sideline watching people do yeah. it. How do you, how have you been to do it for yourself and then for your company? Yeah, so, there, so, so so there's there's two things. Um, the first thing is one of my core DNA code is selflessness is a form of compound interest. So everyone talks about compound interest when it comes to saving money. Mm-hmm. For every dollar you put in, into the stock, you get $2 back, two turns into four, four turns into eight, eight to 16. That is compound interest. I'm a believer, the more selfless you are, it works the same way. So every time you give, you're going to get return twice as much. But if you never, if you never uh, deposit from the bank of giving, your compound interest is growing and growing and growing and you're just nesting something that's going to be exponential. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of reason why I didn't take a salary because I was nesting for the exponential. But also, I also recognize my privilege there that I also am married to a wife who's a dentist. So I was able to maybe be a little bit more riskier mm-hmm. than you know the average person, right? So like I also aware like, so another thing, that's why I'm such a believer of living as frugal as you can possibly live because freedom is the freedom. If you can wake up, the least amount of hours you got to wake up thinking about the short term is the perfect situation. The problem though is we have to worry about the short-term bills, the short-term food, a short-term situation, mm-hmm. and we actually beef up and glamour and luxurize our short-term. <laughs> so we actually never get out of the short-term. Yeah. Where you want to actually create a lifestyle where all you, you're not afraid of your short-term so you can bet on the long-term so that you can nest your selflessness. And so that's the reason why I was able to wait six years is because I had the speaker money. It was paying enough of my bills. Mm-hmm. I drove my Toyota Camry to, you know, 350,000 miles until it ran <laughs> out and I never bought another car because, you know, I travel a lot. So my wife has a car, I Uber if I need to go somewhere um, because I don't want that $500 expense uh, on a car um, because that will change my short term, right? And then I got to think about a short term thing that I don't want to think about. And so the less your bills can get, the more freedom you can create for yourself financially, it allows you to establish to start thinking about how to invest your actions mm-hmm. and the compound interests. Um, and, and so, and then also what I'm working on is very purposeful. I'm trying to build um, equitable tech, you know, that helps low income students and low income communities get access to opportunities and support that kids from 
privileged areas get because of the investments from their families that are able to help with getting access to college admission counselors, getting access to tutors, getting access to all these things and bringing that to them to the palm of their hand, to their mobile device, which is oftentimes the only thing that they have that they own that is theirs and is where they access the world is through that mobile device. It shows that kids who have a mobile device, who come from a family who's making $35,000 or less, spends two more hours on their phone than a family who's making $100,000 or more. So oftentimes this phone is their one hope to taste the world and give them access and expose them to a world that they deserve to have ownership of. Man, and that's powerful, man. So if you had to talk to some of the parents and some of uh, the people, parents of school-aged children, man, I think one thing I used to struggle with, and I think many of us do specifically that we lived a little bit of life is truly not meeting students and kids where they're at. Mm-hmm. Like we say, oh, you're on the phone all the time and you go out and play, right? Yeah. Or you're doing this, you need to be like, because we've seen the world through our lens. So yeah. it's like, okay, nah, I need, to, I need to get an A in everything or but this, that. We put all these stuff on children and, kids, and students rather. But sometimes there's no back and forth, specifically in communities of color. Yeah. Um, specifically communities that, like you said, the people that 35, no, 60 grand and low, like it's a different, parenting is different, yeah. right? And also too, it's complexity of you, you have to parent different because we don't have as many freedoms. Yeah. You can be, you can make a lot of money, but still you walk down the street without, with the wrong thing on, it could be bad. Yeah. So if you had to have had a megaphone and could talk to the world, like what would you say in, in regards to, um, getting to understand the psychology of, a, of, of our children and people we, we want to serve, we want to help, we want to see them do good. Yeah. So one, I got seven minutes left okay. until I got a, a meeting. Cool. So, yeah. so we can do like two more questions. Oh, we good. This is the last one. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so one, I always like to acknowledge that I don't have any kids, so mm-hmm. I never feel like I can give advice on direct parenting. Yeah. What I believe that my mom did well is that there's a reason why the word parent is in the word transparent. I think the most important thing that matters, what happens is we get in our head. That's what's most important is Johnny's success. Did Johnny go to this college? Johnny become a doctor? Is Johnny, am I proud to brag about Johnny? When actually the most important thing is, is that when you're on your death bed, breathing your last breaths Mm -hmm. that the person holding your hand is your children. Mm -hmm. And we get so caught up on the short term of our kid that we may ruin that moment. Mm. and we lose that connection to our students and to our kids. Now, what I do have is millions of text messages between students and mentors <laughs> and what they talk about. And yeah. I think, and I think generation Z mm-hmm. is a very um, together generation mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, they're the ones who activating for black lives matter. Mm-hmm. If you look at Greta Thunberg with climate change, these students are very about together and they want their, the way they identify with Instagram. They want their work, their culture, everything about them to express their identity. If they have to give up their identity to do something, it will not work. That is also why millennials have that same kind of issue as well, which is why we don't really hold jobs. It's like we can only do something so long that doesn't align with our identity. And so these kids have really massive ability there. Now for black and brown families, what I also would talk about is like, we're playing a game that I don't think we should expect rich white people to fix or politicians to fix. Mm -hmm. And that is the generational wealth and the disproportionate of wealth between white families and black and brown families. In order to get there, we have to teach kids how to think exponential, how to start businesses and instill and believe that they can become the next billion dollar unicorn and that we can start building. It was powerful to have a black president but now we need a black Mark Zuckerberg. And I know we have Robert uh, who did the Morehouse uh, 
the Morehouse speech. Yeah. Uh, and he, and like, he's an example. Um, but we need more of those. Uh, and I believe how we respond to that is going to be very important as we become successful. I think we, we get worried too much about still buying the biggest house, buying the car. And to me, it's pit that cash in exponential gains. And if, if you're not pitting your money in something that can go 10 X, mm-hmm. we're wasting our time. You know, like if you had a thousand dollars in your bank account and you had a hundred chances to grow your money, you can spend, um, a hundred chances doing 10% gains. So mm-hmm. meaning every shot you take, you get a hundred bucks, which let's say hits you 50% at a time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you do that, you would make $5,000. Mm-hmm. You turn a thousand dollars to $5,000 by taking 10% bets mm-hmm. and a hundred chances and getting 50 of them. Right. Now, if you think an exponential, so that's a hundred percent return. So that means for every bet you make, you make a thousand dollars on that bet, mm-hmm. but you only have a 1% hit. Well, if you miss 99 of those a hundred, that one made you $10,000. You failed 99 times, but you're twice as much as a person who won half the time Mm -hmm. because you're taking more exponential strategy to how you live your life and what you're investing in. Mm -hmm. And I think in order for black and brown families, for us to scale up and start owning some equity, we got to think in that behavior. Mm. So, man, this has been a very, very, man, this has been a dynamic, fruitful, off the cuff, multitasking, multifaceted, <laughs> elaborate um, interview, man. So I appreciate your time and energy. So where can people find more information about yourself, um, Student Success Agency, and just the work that you do? And, and, and one, how we can people find, where can people, how can people support, and um, anything else you have to say as we close the show? Yeah, man. So um, studentsuccessagency.com. We're looking to help schools reimagine support services in a digital world. Um, that's the future of how schools should operate. And then, yeah, you can find me EJC uh, at hey.com, H-E-Y.com. Um, and then all my socials are E-J-C-A-R-R-I-O-N, E-J Carrion. So mm-hmm. thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Um, Greg, you do great work in this. And the fact that you've been so committed to it and just seen it grow uh, to the amount of downloads and listens is, is showcasing of, of staying the course. Um, and so hopefully people understand that they're not just listening to your podcast, but they're seeing your actions as well. Mm, I appreciate that. So Minority Trouble is a nation. As always, you need to do two things, two things only. Number one, make sure you leave a review. Five stars, five stars only. And number two, make sure you changing the freaking culture. Good night.